This sermon is brought to you by Buford Road Baptist Church. The speaker today is Pastor Tony Cahoot. Well, take your Bibles tonight and turn with me to James chapter 4, and uh, we're going to continue uh, where we left off last week. While you're turning your Bibles, uh, as I was doing some studying uh, today, and even this evening, uh, I believe that I came across something that is of a personal truth to me. And when you read the Bible, there are certain things that stand out to you, perhaps more so in a particular study uh, than in other places. And you don't forget those moments. But I personally believe that there probably is not a better person in all of the Bible who can speak and testify with the greatest passion of the words that I may know him and the power of his resurrection than James. Even though the Apostle Paul recorded those words and brought them to light to us in the book of Philippians, Paul said that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, I'm talking about being in the fellowship of his sufferings. And that's an amazing scripture written by probably the greatest preacher outside of Jesus Christ himself. But I will tell you, there is probably not a person in the scripture who fully understood the power of his resurrection other than James. Because if you remember James, the brother of Jesus, he did not believe in Jesus as the Messiah, the Savior of the world, the only begotten Son of God, until after the resurrection. And we studied that back in James chapter 1. And so when you think about this, we're going now into almost a year. Another couple of Wednesday nights we'll be here for a solid year. And we've seen a lot of things take place in the book of James. But you think about him as an individual and the passion that he writes with. Because when I think of that scripture in Philippians that I may know him in the power of his resurrection, James fully speaks from uh, the depth of his soul. I, I don't believe there's, there's anyone better capable of teaching the truths that we have learned in this particular book other than James. And uh, he has taught some very straightforward points and spiritual truths and principles. He's given us some straightforward application and he continues to do that. And it's sort of like that from the scripture when it first opened up to us in the very first Bible study of James, his teaching has become more increased and more intensified uh, with the things that he wants us to know. And so I want you to look, we're going to pick up tonight with verse number 11. This is where we left off last week. And we're coming off of the verse of humility and how important it is to keep ourselves humble. Humble before the Lord, humble before one another, and humble in ourselves. If we ever develop this self-righteous mentality, and we'll talk a little bit about that in just a moment, it's shipwrecks our our example and our testimony 
and really has a detrimental effect upon our faith. And so it's, it's very important. Now, I want you to look with me in James chapter 4 and verse number 11. And he says, speak not evil one of another, brethren. Now, that's more easily said than done. But James has a very important message in these scriptures. And and let us keep in mind that the word says that all scripture is given by the inspiration of God, the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And so James is not making this up. He's not telling us a made-up story, uh, whether it be fabricated, prefabricated. That's not what he's doing. He's giving us inspiration, unction from the Holy Spirit. And so he says, speak not evil of one another, brethren. He that speaketh evil of his brother, look at this, and judges his brother. And we just began to touch the surface last Wednesday night on this thing about judging. Look at this. Speaketh evil of the law and judgeth the law. But if thou judge the law, thou art not a doer of the law, but a judge. Now, I want to comment a little bit on this. and Let's turn back to the left because I want you to see something in the Gospel of Matthew. And I began to read you this scripture last Wednesday night when we came to the close of the study. And I told you last Wednesday night that we would pick up here on our next gathering. And we're going to be looking at chapter 7 and verses 1 through 3 here in just a moment. But let me say this. If we spend time focused upon our walk with Christ, we do not have time to judge another man's steps. And the Lord, he places a serious judgment and condemnation upon one that would set themselves up on a holy, righteous pedestal to do that. In the scripture, the Bible teaches us clearly, you shall know them by the fruits. So, we can be a fruit inspector, but we cannot be any man's judge. And there's a spiritual application to that. Here in this particular parable, Jesus was preaching probably the greatest message he ever preached, and we know it as the great Sermon on the Mount. But in Matthew chapter 7, I want you to see this. And I'm, go- I'm going to read several passages for you, but let's begin with verses 1 through 3. And the scripture says, judge not that ye be not judged. Now, let me reemphasize something because a Calvinist will tell you that we are called to judge. First of all, we're not Calvinist. We don't believe in Calvinism. And that's another world. But here's the thing. Always remember this. The scripture never contradicts itself. Never. And so when you read a passage of scripture and you say, well, it it says it in a different way here or it doesn't mention it there, keep in mind this great spiritual truth that the word of God never contradicts itself. And so the way that you keep it all in focus is to study to show yourself approved unto God. Because if you don't do that, you're very 
subjected to uh, the elements of taking scripture out of context. And that's, that's why I say many times you have to know the who, what, when, where, and hows. Sometimes you even have to know the geographies. You have to know names. You have to, you have, this is very critical. For example, when the Bible says, and Simon said this, or Simon said this, you have to understand there were multitudes of Simons. Who, who was the Simon that the scripture was in reference to? And so you have to study it to put it in context. And so the scripture never contradicts itself. You have to understand. Now, if you have a red letter edition of the scriptures, your Bible tonight has the red letters in Matthew chapter 7. These are the words of Jesus. This is not a Sunday school teacher. This is not some leader of a Bible study. This, this is not even the disciples. Jesus is saying these words. And he says, judge not. So he clearly has told us not to judge people. And somebody might say, well, but it says, right? Yeah, but you need to study this. Jesus, listen, he is the word. He will never contradict himself. Judge not that you be not judged. And the thing that we talked about last week, especially in the communion chapter, when Paul wrote in Corinthians, he said, that uh, he said, judge not. And he said that uh, if we judge one another, he said, we fall into condemnation of that and we, we will be chastised of the Lord. If, if, if we do not judge ourselves, and by that I mean this, that as a believer, because we all are sealed into the day of redemption with the Holy Spirit, all of us who are saved, born again, redeemed, all of us who have experienced the new birth, we have been baptized. This, we, by, the, by that I mean, this is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We have been baptized by one spirit. How many spirits are there? There's one. There's one Holy Spirit in reference to that. Now, there are demon spirits and wicked spirits and evil spirits and all this stuff, but I'm talking about the spirit of the living God. John 6, clearly teaches us that we cannot even come into the realm of salvation until the spirit draws us. So here's the thing. We are baptized by one spirit into the body of Christ. It's the baptism of the Holy Spirit. When we become saved, born again, we are sealed according to the word of God until the day of redemption. And we cannot be unsaved. We cannot be unborn, unbirthed. And so the scripture says this, that as a believer, we have been baptized into the body of Christ. As a believer, if we, we have the Holy Spirit who brings us conviction, strong conviction, we have the Holy Spirit that gives us the caution lights where to slow down, where to stop, when to speak, when not to speak. The Spirit of God teaches us. He will guide us in all truth. He lets us know that even our thoughts, whether they're pure or impure, our steps, whether or not they're righteous or unrighteous, our words, whether they're kind or unkind, the Holy Spirit governs our life. And so when we get out of step and out of tune, in the journey, the Holy Spirit brings great conviction to us. Now, it's here at this place when we are overwhelmed with conviction 
the Spirit of God is just saying, this ought not to be whatever the situation is, this ought not to be. That's when we find a solitary place. We ask the Lord to forgive us. We ask the Lord to put it under the blood, remove it as far as the east or from the west, put it in the sea of forgiveness. And where repentance, confession, and all of these things take place where we just say, Lord God, I'm sorry. Help me not to do that again. And you pray, Holy Spirit, uh, remind me and help me and warn me, convict me. And when we find ourselves in that posture, in that position, where we are yielding to the Spirit, we're yielding to his conviction, and we are saying to ourselves, not only to the Lord, just like the prodigal said, remember the scripture when he said, Father, I've sinned. Do you remember that? David, when he sinned, he said, I've sinned against you and only you have a sin. Here's the thing. When we bring ourselves into the condemnation, we bring ourselves into the judgment. When we recognize the transgression, we put it under the blood. God forgives it. And God will not take us to the woodshed to try to beat a spiritual principle into our hearts without a purpose. God, when we... He says in the word that when we bring the judgment upon ourselves, that we escape the chastisement of the Lord. But when we walk continuously wickedly with our eyes wide open to what we're doing, the word says that if we don't judge ourselves, he will judge us. He will chastise us. So having understood that principle, and you come back to this scripture in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus says, judge not that you be not judged. Verse 2, for with what judgment ye judge, ye shall be judged. Now, have you ever heard of that old saying, what goes around comes around? This is the scripture probably from which that slang term has derived. For with what judgment you judge, you shall be judged. And with what measure you meet, it shall be measured to you again. In verse number three, Jesus asked a very pointed question. Because the person who has set themselves up on a self-righteous pedestal, who declares themselves judge, jury, and executioner of anybody. Jesus asked this question. And why beholdest thou the mote? Underline that word. I'm going to talk about that for just a moment. And why beholdest thou the mote in thy brother's eye? But considerest not the beam, underline that word beam, that is in thine own eye. And so, the moat here is talking about a fault that you recognize in another brother or another sister's life, uh, a transgression, and for all of sin, all of us sin. But for some reason, a particular practice or habit or mannerism 
in a weaker brother's life or sister's life, you seem to capitalize on that and, and bring that out. Sort of like when Jesus said, you without sin throw the first stone. The truth of the matter is this, none of us have any right to carry stones in our pockets. None of us. Jesus pointed to the multitude and said, you without sin, you throw the first stone. I can tell you right now, I don't, I don't have any stones in my pocket. But look at this. The moat is the fault or the wrong or the transgression that you observe in somebody else's life. Well, if it was me, I wouldn't do that. I don't know why they said that. What's wrong with them? What planet do they live on? They ought not to be doing I would never do that. I've, in my life, in my world, I've, I've come across that kind of thing before. The moat, listen now, is, is being described as an irritating particle, a, a tiny speck. You ever had maybe an eyelash in your eye and how irritating it, it became? And just just a little eyelash, and you pulled your eyelash down, you coughed, you did all of that uh, stuff, uh, those old-fashioned remedies, you know, you've, you've heard about all kinds of crazy stuff, and you people say, well, if you just do this, it'll do that. You know what it's like to have your eye irritated with just a little tiny hair, hair lash. Now, look at this. That's, that's what a moat is. But Jesus said, how is it that you notice that little speck of irritation in someone else's life. And he says this, but consider it's not the beam. Now, what is the beam? The beam Jesus was talking about was symbolic of a, of a log, something that would hold up the structure of a house, something horrendous. So Jesus is saying this, why, why are you noticing, why are you focusing on this subject of another person's life and you're not considering your own self who, if we're going to judge in miles or measurement, Jesus is saying, listen, what you're doing is 10 times worse than what they're doing and why are you capitalizing on that little speck in their life when you've got this big beam coming out of yours. And so Jesus was irritated with this thing of judging. Now look at verse four. Or how wilt thou say to thy brother, let me pull out the moat of thine eye. And behold, a beam is in thy own eye. Then notice what Jesus said. And one thing that I've noticed about Jesus in his earthly ministry, he made, he made no reservation about metaphors. He called Herod a fox. He said in other places, beware of snakes and vipers. He wasn't talking about pythons in the Amazon. He's talking about people that just do uh, cunning things. And so here Jesus uses the word hypocrite. And he made no apology for it. He said, thou hypocrite. Notice this. First cast out the beam out of thine own eye, which means this. If we spend time worrying about ourselves, 
we'll find out that in order to get the beam out of our life, it's going to take a lot of effort and a lot of work, a lot of determination. It's not going to be a little thing. He says, first, cast out the beam of thine own eye, and then thou shalt see clearly to cast out the mote of thy brother's eye. So how, how do we do that? I'll tell you what is typical. Turn your Bibles with me to Galatians, if you will. The book of Galatians. And I want you to turn to chapter 6 with me because let me tell you the, the typical way of a casual Christian in a scenario like this would be nail him to the cross would be carry him outside of the city walls and stone him to death. That's a typical response and a typical reaction to a casual Christian. And believe me, there's a lot of casual Christianity everywhere. But a person who who understands the magnitude of the beam in their own life and realizes that there is no room or time to worry about the speck in somebody else's life when your life is overwhelmingly consumed with one obstruction after another. I'm going to show you what the response is. Okay, so you see a brother or a sister in in a terrible situation. Rather than crucifying them, or getting on the phone. Listen, let me tell you something. Nowadays, it's Facebook. Without getting on the phone and, say, and saying this, listen, don't repeat this. You, oh, man. Don't repeat this. But I'm going to tell you something if you promise not to tell anybody. I don't want it said of me. I don't want it coming back to me. you got to promise me. You, and listen, none of that. None of that is scriptural. None of that's biblical. None of that is of Jesus. But I will tell you, it's a common practice more so than not in this world, in this realm of casual Christianity. I'm going to show you tonight the true means and measure of what spirituality is all about. Listen, there's nothing spiritual about condemning your brother. There's nothing spiritual about nailing them to a cross and stoning them. There's nothing spiritual. It doesn't make you a spiritual person to get on the telephone and talk about them. Send a message on Facebook. Find somebody in the hallway of the church to get, go along with you. Listen, none of that is spiritual. And if anybody thinks that that makes that person look super spiritual, Believe you me, there are people that can do the math to that. And you can come to know very quickly that that's not super spirituality. That's a manipulation of the devil. I'm going to show you the right response. It's not the telephone. It's not Facebook. It's not in a corner in a hallway. It's not in a coffee house. Here's the response. And I want you to look at this in Galatians chapter 6, verse number 1. Brethren. Brothers and sisters, if a man be overtaken in a fault, okay, you see the moat. If any man be overtaken in a fault, look at this. 
Ye which are spiritual, not self-righteous, not holier than thou, not somebody else's Holy Spirit, not somebody else's Roman centurion to nail them to the cross. Ye which are spiritual. And this is where it really comes down to where we reveal our, our true colors. I've heard it said many, many times in, in, in jest and in caution and instruction and edification. I've heard people say this uh, over the years. They say that a snake, and, and in this particular category, they were really talking about a human being. They said a snake will always raise its head in the field. You don't have to look very far. They will expose themselves. But you know what? I plant a garden, and I look forward to that every spring. And I'm in physical therapy now, and I told my therapist the other day, I said, you have got to, this this back surgery has really taken an advantage of me, and it's set me back in many, many ways, and uh, you've got to help me get to this place. And she said, tell me why you're so aggressive about this. I said, well, I have to put peas in the ground in February, the last week of February. It's not going to be possible with all this wet weather we're having. But I look forward to doing that. And I don't know if Danny has seen this or not before, but I saw this only one time. When I was tilling up my garden where I normally would plant my peas, and you have to do that late winter, I had got the row straight as a string. In fact, I use a string to mark my rows. Planted the seeds. The weather started to change. It started to warm up a little bit. The sun was bringing those plants to germination and they were popping up out of the ground and taking its form and shape. And I can remember as the spring turned into summer, just about July when it's time to pick those peas. I saw a snake in my garden standing up on its tail. You ever seen that, Danny? Just standing up. And that old statement, a snake will raise its own ugly head. When I saw that, I, I thought, my goodness, I am lo- I'm looking at that statement that I've heard all my life. But it's true in the practical sense of talking about mischief. And this word says this, ye which are spiritual. Does it, the, the next word, is it crucify, persecute? Is it to put somebody aside? Look at this. This is a peculiar word to some people. The Bible says, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. That's a powerful verse. That's, that's the Christian response. 
has nothing to do with the telephone, has nothing to do with Facebook, and has nothing to do with gossip, has nothing to do with rumor. This is, when you see them, the moat. Those of you that are spiritual, let the effectiveness and the realness and the trueness of this thing you call in love with Jesus, let it, let it be seen of all men, especially them who are the household of faith. Now, look at this. Restore them. That's, that's why Jesus told the woman, go and sin no more. That was his principle. God's not in the business of whenever we do sin, to hold that over our heads the rest of our lives if we have put it under the blood? Absolutely not. He's in, the, he's in the business of restoration. He's in the business of restoring and forgiving. And that's what Jesus would tell any of us. People have told me through the years, Pastor, I look back on my life and I wish I hadn't done this, this, that, and the other, and I'm tormented by it. But listen, Jesus said, go and sin no more. You remember what he told the lame man when he healed the lame man? Jesus said, take up your bed and walk. He didn't say, listen, you messed up, buddy. You're going to be in that situation for the rest of your life. No, Jesus would tell us all to take up. When it's under the blood, when it's been forgiven, when it's in the past sea of God's forgetfulness, God would speak to us and he would say, take up your bed and walk. Forget it. But unfortunately, there are those in the Christian world that would on the contrary do the complete opposite thing here. So look at this very carefully. And this, we've spent all night talking about this one particular verse. No Christian should ever set themselves up to be super spiritual. Because I believe this. We are all, every one of us, every one of us are capable of committing any sin that anybody in this Bible ever committed at any point in time. So the bottom line is don't throw stones unless you are perfect. That, that disqualifies everybody. You listen to Pastor Tony Cahoot. For more information, visit our website at BufordRoadBaptistChurch.com.